Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Well, it's great to see you. I just, I I head to the airport in Bozeman, Montana. I get on the plane and I just, it's always with anticipation. You, 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 you fill my spirit and I'm glad, I'm glad to be with you this morning. This is a special day, but uh, before we talk about that, I want to talk about something that uh, Brendan said at the beginning of the service in the announcements. He talked about vacation Bible school for, uh, for children. I just want to echo that. You know, when I was growing up, my mom was the Sunday school superintendent, and she played piano for the worship service. But really, I, I, I thought Christianity was pretty boring. I mean, how many times can you hear the story of Joseph on flannel graph? You know, I mean, just, all right, so he goes to Egypt, and he feeds his family. And, and then one year, my mom took me to vacation Bible school. I was in the seventh grade and, and a pastor from Sydney, Montana, across the border, had come to teach us how we got the Bible. I had never heard of that. Story after miraculous story about how the Bible was inspired by God and then how it was translated down through the years and the price people paid and how they had to hide out and the impact it had in different cultures. And it was for the first time in my life, I thought, wow, this Christian stuff is good. So when you think about vacation Bible school and you think, well, you know, that's good, but they're just kids. The first positive experience of my Christian faith happened at a vacation Bible school. And at 71, I have never forgotten that class in a tiny little room with two tables and the chairs that actually were against the outside walls. The room was so small, just off of the foyer of the church. But it created a whole disposition in my heart that was open to Christianity because of that event. So I'll weigh that before the Lord and connect out, out, out in the foyer and it just be, it's a great thing for, for kids. So this is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the doorway in to some of the most magnificent and significant landmark events of the Christian faith. And we read about it in John chapter 12. Let's read the scripture today. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. The next day the great crowd that had come for the feast, this is the Passover feast, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him 
when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Whether families or nations, there are landmark events in our life that, that define us. It's part of our identity. Families have that. My family has the long family vacation, which is the, which is the metaphor of the Griswold family vacation, all through the western part of the United States, nearly running over people, trying to camp in rainfalls, one, one story after another. That's part of part of part of our history that defines us. In our family lives, it might be the birth of somebody or the marriage of someone or even the death of someone. There are landmark events. Uh, Nations have that. I visited a number of our battlefields, the battlefield of Gettysburg, the Little Bighorn, Pearl Harbor. These events shaped and impacted us as a country. And in the Christian faith, there are landmark events. They start with the birth of Jesus Christ. But Palm Sunday is the doorway into the pinnacle of the landmark events of the Christian faith. The crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ on the cross. His resurrection three days later, showing himself to many disciples. His ascension back into heaven, preparing eventually for the day when he will return. And we enter this landmark season, this week, through Palm Sunday. This was a Sunday when Jesus had set his face to Jerusalem. And he knew that he was going there to die for your sins and for my sins. And he comes close to the city. And word had already gotten out that Jesus was coming. And they went out to meet him. And they had cut palms off the trees. And they laid them before Jesus and the donkey he was riding. This was a great event. But as we go through this event this morning, you'll discover something else. That in this event are some elements about how to live a focused life. How to live a focused life. Some years ago, Harvard University uh, was part of a study. They studied a graduating class at Harvard. They asked them at the point of graduation a question. What is going to be the focus of your life? And then they followed that class for 25 years and more years. And after 25 years, they evaluated the results. Now, when they asked the question at the beginning, uh, about half or more of the students had the vaguest notion about the focus of their life. They were treating their diploma from Harvard University, perhaps the most prestigious university in America, as simply a passport, and wherever they wanted to go, the doors were going to open, and they'd be fine. About 30% or so actually had some vague idea, some arena that they wanted to look at. 3% 
were able to articulate clearly why they got this degree from Harvard and what they intended to do with it. 25 years later, they studied this class and they discovered that the 3% who could articulate at graduation what it was they actually wanted to do had accumulated more wealth than the other 97% combined. There is great power in a focused life. And some people just kind of muddle. It doesn't mean they don't have anything to offer, but they, they just they have a hard time grasping where is my place in the universe? And they just kind of muddle along. There is power in a focused life. And we find that in this account of Jesus. As Jesus comes into the city, word has is, word is preceded him. The word about Lazarus being raised from the dead. That was only one of a series of pieces of information about how Jesus was just doing good for so many people. How he cared for people and he loved people and he healed people and he taught to people. And in fact, he healed and loved and taught to taught people who had never really been given any seat at the table. They didn't really matter. Rome controlled this area, this great power. These were an oppressed people. But Jesus gave them a seat at the table and the people knew it. And even though they thought he was going to establish a military kingdom and they got that wrong their expression of the poems had to do with their appreciation for the fact that he cared for them that he mattered some people uh, do good accidentally that's about as good as it gets for them doesn't mean nothing's ever good happened but they never set out to do good whoops I didn't mean that but oh well enjoy it then there are people who do good incidentally. Ah, they're doing stuff and some of it spills over and other people benefit by it. But there are some people who do good because they are focused on doing good. Jesus was focused on doing good. And it was not accidental or incidental, it was sustained. And those are the people who live as Jesus was living. Now I was an Atlanta Braves fan. Everybody in North Dakota was a Minnesota Twins fan. But if you weren't a Minnesota Twins fan, the next closest team in Major League Baseball was the Milwaukee Braves. So I was a Milwaukee Braves fan. And so long before he got anywhere near the record, I was rooting for Hank Aaron. Eventually, Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's record of 700 and. 14 home runs, or 714 home runs in a lifetime. But you know that Henry Aaron never once even hit 50 home runs? 715 home runs he got by just hitting 30 and 40 home runs year after year after year after year after year. He was hardly ever injured. And he just played, and he played, and he played, and he hit home runs, and he hit home runs. And it was that sustained, repetitive effort that finally enabled him to break that home run record. 
Jesus exhibited a sustained effort at showing people how they belonged, how they had a seat at the table. And a lot of these people had, there's all kinds of reasons why people don't have a seat at the table. They're disenfranchised. Sometimes it's because of their ethnicity. The Samaritans had no seat at the table. And yet Jesus goes out of his way to talk to the Samaritan woman at the well. She even says to him, why are you talking to me? Like, don't, don't you know you're a Jew? She had a seat at the table. Some people didn't have a seat at the table because of economics. They were poor. And, and Rome was a power. And wealth was worshipped. And so Jesus goes out of his way. He, the Bible says he was sitting there watching people give their offerings. And he called the disciples over. He said, come on, come on. Watch this. Watch this. And they look over and a widow is putting a mite that's the smallest coin of the realm, into the offering box. He says, see that? They must have wondered, see, see what? The widow's might. So the people who economically were deprived, Jesus said, you sit here at the table. Some had no seat at the table because of their health. The leper... The leper was not only separated from the rest of the population, but if some of the population inadvertently got close to him, they actually had to call out and tell people to stay away from him. Talk about not having anywhere to belong. But Jesus walked over, the Bible says, he not only approached them, he touched them. Some because of their occupation. Zacchaeus the tax collector, the stooge for the Roman Empire. Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I'm going to your house today. And some were disenfranchised because of their own behavior. Ever heard that phrase, well, fine, you made your bed, now you sleep in it. You know, I'm happy that's not always true. Jews thought they had him. They had found a woman in the very humiliating act of adultery. And they drug her out. Threw her before Jesus in the dust. Because they knew their law, law said stoner. And after Jesus said, well, let, let the person without sin cast the first stone, and they melted away, then Jesus said, now, neither do I condemn you. What kind of words are that? Neither do I condemn you. Just, just don't do this again. This isn't good for you. You know, high school can make, uh, high school has all these little social stratas. And sometimes you don't even see them until you're out of high school. So a few years ago, I went to my 50th high school class reunion. Rented a large hall, banquet hall for the 12 of us. <laughs> 
But even in 12, there are the insiders and the outsiders. I've never been an outsider. Academically, athletically, professionally, relationally, I don't know what it means to be an outsider. And so I didn't realize till later that there were, there were kids in our class that were never treated like they, they ever had a place at the table. One was a young man who, who was befriended by others just because he had a car and so he could get him around. They, they just used him. And it was later as I got older that I realized that. So now we have a reunion. I'm wondering if this guy's going to come. And I thought, Lord, I can't undo the past, but if he and his wife come, would you give me a chance, even how small, however small, to serve him? He may not know what I'm doing, but I know what I'm doing, and my spirit needs me to do that. And so we were at a gathering where our class was part of a larger, larger gathering, and most of us were already there sitting around a table together, and here, here he came with his wife, and there were no chairs. And I jumped up as quick as I could, and I found chairs to bring over and sit down so he didn't have to get to the table and then wonder what to do. Because at least for that one day, I wanted to make sure I knew and that he knew I knew he had a right to have a seat at the table. And he didn't have that right because he had to somehow earn it. He possessed that right by virtue of his own identity. This palms being put down, that was appreciation for the impact of good Jesus had had on the lives of the people around him. Whatever else he was doing that they didn't fully understand, they knew that when they were with him, they belonged. And it mattered. Popovich just uh, broke the record as the coach with the, with the most wins of any coach in the NBA. So they were interviewing players about what it was like to be coached by Popovich who uh, coaches for the San Antonio Spurs. And interestingly, one story came out repetitively. It was a story that seemed unlikely. In a season, the San Antonio Spurs had experienced one night their worst loss of the year. They just got smashed. Well, I know coaches who would have been apoplectic over, over that performance. They were not prepared for what happened next. They headed back to the locker room. Popovich came in, and he said, All right, everybody, shower up, get dressed, and then there's a bus waiting for you. Well, what, what do you mean? It's going to take us out, take us to another gym, and we're going to run wind sprints. So they get ready. They don't know what's coming. They get out to the bus. There's Popovich standing right at the door of this fancy big bus. 
And he's joking around. He's shaking the hands of the players. He's saying kind words to them. They pile into the bus. The bus heads off to a very fancy restaurant in San Antonio. They're taken through the restaurant into a back room. The back room is just filled with, oh, the tables are white linen and they're all set and this wonderful meal has been prepared and the players start filing in, not really understanding what's going on and there's Popovich again and he just, and, and slowly begins to dawn, he has no agenda except to let them know what a privilege it is to coach that team. And he's praising them and visiting with them and relating to them. And so when they're talked about what it was it like to be coached by the winningest NBA coach in history, they don't tell about some great NBA title. They tell about how they got treated when they played the worst game of the year by the coach that was one of the greatest in history. Appreciation for the impact of good. There's a second thing we see here, and that's the identity that spills out into good. Jesus knew who he was from the time he was 12. He's in Jerusalem. His parents lose track of him. They finally find him. He's in the temple talking to the priests, and he says, don't you know I need to be about my father's business? I know what it is I'm here to do. I've got a task. He set his eyes to Jerusalem. He knew he was here to love us and to die for my sin and for your sins. The Bible says he, keep, he came to seek and to save those who were lost. Scripture tells us he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Collins wrote a book, Good to Great, for leaders. Sold four million copies. In it, he talks about a level five leader. He said a level five leader is a leader who puts his employees or team and the welfare of the organization ahead of his own welfare. He says that's a level five leader, and the people who work for level five leaders know who they are. Jesus knew what he was about. You and I, we need to know that there is, there, is a, there is an identity burned into the DNA of our spirit and we're meant to live out of that identity serving both this world and the God who created us. And we need to own that identity. We need to respect that identity. We need to be grateful for that identity. One of the things I enjoy about coming down here from Bozeman, uh, well, of course, there's the wind, and to be, yeah, our plane flying in from Denver, they didn't even start the engine, so, <laughs> is I love working, just being on the team with this staff. I mean, it is, it is they are just terrific. I mean, they all have different personalities, Like Derek. Der Derek, so Derek's the executive director. And uh, when he's not on the phone changing the course of nations, 
He's, he is one of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life. Like, you wouldn't know he's funny because he's just kind of, you know, well, I mean, he's up there, so, you know, because he's tall, but, you know. And then he'll just, he'll be talking and he'll just drop off, drop some little phrase off, like uh, drops off the table. And I'll, I'll just be, un, I think it's the funniest thing and then I get embarrassed I'm laughing so hard because, you know, he's just going on. Well, one of the staff is Tina. And Tina takes care of a lot of details. Like I get, uh, uh, I sometimes go through seasons where I get very hoarse. And so Tina says, would you like me to get some cough drops? So today, she has cough drops in her office. Well, I think she's just going to have like a little, you know, you go out and buy a bag of cough drops. But no, she's got it on a tray. And there's two little cups, and they got cough drops in. And then over here is some throat spray. And then here there's a, there's a container of some kind of soothing throat tea that is only grown in the southern province of China. You know, I mean, I don't... And I, I'm looking at this whole tray. Now, please catch this. Because often the things that you and I are gifted at, we discount as if they're not really a big deal. Here's part of Tina's DNA imprinted on her spirit from the Lord. She is gifted at serving the details of others so they are released to exercise their calling before the Lord. She is gifted in serving the detail of others so they are free to exercise their calling in the Lord. For some of us like me, we know how big a thing that is. And it matters that not only she knows it, it matters that you not discount the thing that you might think is considered small in the eyes of others. When in fact, it is big. It has enormous impact. I mean, if, if there are not people like Tina in my world, I am lost. I don't have a filing system. I have a piling system. <laughs> because my DNA is different. So he makes sure that people like Tina bring that kind of potential into a room. We need to own the identity and the giftedness that God has given each one of us uniquely to carry. And having owned it, we need to respect it. We need to give it space. We need to feed it. We need to express it. Let it breathe. 
And having owned it and respecting it, we need to be grateful that the Lord has given us this place at the table. This is what I get to do. That's what Jesus, coming into Jerusalem, not, not led by a bunch of chariots and soldiers, but on the back of a donkey. Because he's saying something about the humility that is part of his kingdom enterprise. So you and I, we need to appreciate, we need to understand that there's appreciation for the impact of good that we have, that identity spills out into good as we live in that identity, but there's a final focus issue, and this is difficulty that shadows the good. Appreciation for the impact of the good, identity that spills out from the good, difficulty that shadows the good. When Lewis and Clark talked about their great journey from St. Louis all the way to the West Coast, one of the things they talked about was the, was the overwhelming discouragement as they got to the Rocky Mountains. In their mind, if they just got over that first great barrier, as they stood at the top, in the distance, they would see the glimmering shores of the Pacific Ocean. And when they got to the top, what they saw is rank after rank after rank of mountains with no Pacific Ocean in sight. And sometimes life seems like that for you and I. Here Jesus is doing all this good. He's going to lay his life down for the world. And what does he get? Here's the Pharisees. Pharisees saying, well, there you see it. This is getting us nowhere. The Pharisees standing against him, making it as difficult as possible for him to do the good he's doing. And you and I experience that. There's all kinds of difficulties. There's personal limitations. I talked with someone this week and they said, sometimes I just wish I was someone else. And you and I live with our limitations. The scripture says, when I am weak, then I am strong. But sometimes when I am weak, I feel weak. I don't feel strong. And they think, I, I just wish. I wish I could be someone else. I wish I could be like them. Then there's the difficulty of physical disability. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and the Bible says he prayed three times for it to be removed. And the Lord finally told him, no, I'm not taking it out. It has a kingdom purpose. There's the difficulty of interpersonal relationships. When Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, he talks about how weary he is. The Corinthians had been so difficult to work with. He thinks he's getting over it, and he's making some headway only to have a group of them attack him again. There's the difficulty of structural resistance. The gospel is first going to the Jews, and yet the Jewish leaders team at every point to put up roadblocks. Circumstantial roadblocks. Paul talks about their shipwreck, being whipped. He has a whole list of them. Emotional and spiritual exhaustion. 
I have a little, I write out my prayers usually during the day, in the morning. And uh, I preface my prayers with a set of statements. And almost every, every day, one of the statements at the heading of my prayer is this. Lord, have mercy on me today. At 71, one of the things that puzzles me is that sometimes I see people who seem to live, live life as if they either take mercy for granted or they don't think they need any. Every day I think, my goodness, Lord have mercy on me today. Because in this day, no matter how much good you do, there will be difficulty that shadows the good. You'll be at the top of the mountain and there'll just be another ridge you've got to conquer the following day. And so as we walk with Jesus through the Palm Sunday, we also see a man focused on the purposes that his father gave him. He's experiencing appreciation. He's living out of his identity. He's having to overcome the difficulties. That's all part of doing good. In the midst of all of our difficulties. You got any difficulties? I've got difficulties. Not only do I have difficulties, I know that I'm, I'm inadequate dealing with them. Because you know what? There's something wrong with all of us. Isn't there? Don't you turn to the person next to you and say, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> now don't get so enthusiastic. <laughs> You'll be... One of the best things you can do for someone else is let them know how much you need Jesus. We sometimes think part of our job is to let everybody else know how much they need Jesus. It, it mattered because, you know, there are people who came into this room even today, and most of us, we're trained how to behave, and part of how we're trained to behave is to look like we actually have it together, even if we forgot where we put it. And so we come in and we all shake hands and we talk about, well, that, that's all right. I'm, you know, I mean, you get weary if the first six people you talk to all just let you know how they are. But we come and kind of come in and we like, we got it all together. And in fact, there's some people need to know that the person next to them doesn't have it all together. Because it allows them not to have it all together which actually isn't the problem. The problem is pretending like we have it all together. And so just once in a while, we need to let everybody know we're all looking at the same ridge of mountains, which means we all need a hand. Appreciation, identity, difficulty. And I think that's what the Lord has for us today. Let's bow our heads. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. 
Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.